good and how easy they have it in the sporting world of ours. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, March 5th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Jam-packed. I atop a sunburned downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's a crime against humanity we had to be in the office today because it was glorious outside. They're telling you the NFL draft is hard right now. I am going to suggest to you tonight it's not anywhere close to being as hard immunity as college football recruiting is. What am I talking about? You won't have to wait long. We'll talk about that in a second. The SEC schedule is about to be released, and it's got some people up in arms. One of of the good friends of the program, the head coach at Alabama, is one of them. I've got some thoughts on it. There are some conference realignment rumblings. Why? Because it's a day of the week that ends in Y. That's the thing about active volcanoes. They don't shut up until they erupt. T-shirt idea for the fall. And also spring questions before we get to the fall. We have to go through spring, and we will get to all that tonight. Leighton, Alabama is tuned in. Alexandria, Virginia, Honolulu, Hawaii, and Picayune, Mississippi. I left Nashville for three days to go to the Combine. And uh, some stuff happened here while I was gone that I'm not a fan of, but I'm not going to lead the show with it. So if you want to delve into my personal life and the mission, nay, the crusade that I will be on this week at the expense of my coworkers, who I thought were my friends, just stick around. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Let's dive into this thing, though. So I was in Indianapolis all week. I don't normally cover NFL, um, but I did, and we did it from a college slant. So I was in Indianapolis to cover the Combine over the past few days, and I heard a lot of folks talking about the NFL draft. As we do every year, you hear about the draft and how, oh, what are the old go-tos? It's an inexact science. It's a crapshoot. It's all about fit, which is true, but the draft is not nearly the crapshoot that high school recruiting and evaluation is. And so... I'm up there and I'm listening to a lot of these folks who cover the pro game and talking to general managers. Yeah, that actually happened this week. Talked to a lot of front office personnel, actually. You know, late kick is a lot more popular in NFL circles than I ever imagined. And so thank you guys for checking out the show. Anyway, now let me throw you under the bus. So I had a lot of NFL types telling me this week how hard it is to scout players and how hard the NFL draft process is and how inexact the science it is. And I'm like, You get three, four, or in some cases, five years of film on these guys, right? College film, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we get that. You got full medical on them? Yeah. You get to individually and privately interview any of them that you want for as long as you want? Yeah, yeah, we get that. You've got full verified times and numbers, heights and weights, hand, wingspan, etc. You got all that on them? Yeah, we got that. What's hard about it? And then I started to think to myself, wait a second. There are going to be busts in the draft. Like Anthony Richardson right now is the talk of the NFL draft and NFL combine. And it's a classic case of people who pretended to watch college football this year, but really didn't. So they're surprised at the thing that approximately 100% of us already knew. And that is Anthony Richardson is an alien. We knew that. Everybody knew that. You think you're watching something for the first time during the combine. You're watching him do his backflips and throw the ball half a mile and run faster than someone that size should really be able to run. And I'm like, welcome to our summer of 2022. Welcome to fall camp in Gainesville 2022. There's a reason why a lot of people started to pick up on Florida. Billy Napier, year one, could they be a dark horse? That guy's an alien. Now you're hearing the Cam Newton comparisons. He's not Cam Newton. He's he's uh, height. I got you there. Weight. I got you there. He's not Cam Newton. 
Uh, Cam Newton's a much better quarterback coming out of college than Anthony Richardson is. But my point there is not to break down uh, the future prospects because once you leave college, we don't talk about you much on this show anymore. You come back to Pate State anytime you want to for homecoming, but we don't really talk about you much anymore. But what I want to say is a lot of people are getting worked up now and talking about drafting this kid. God bless him. Talking about drafting this kid in the top 10 in the NFL draft. And that's your game. You do you. But uh, I'm a little surprised by that. And I'm surprised by it because this is nothing we haven't already talked about. You're watching the combine right now, and you're seeing him go crazy. And then if he gets drafted as high as he is projected to get drafted, he'll be expected to start immediately, and he'll underachieve, and he'll be labeled a bust because he's put in an untenable situation well before he should be. And that's the word I want to focus on tonight. Bust. Bust. How do we, how do we discern that? How do we determine who's a bust and who's not? Here's the way it works. The people who hold these in their hand, it's a pen, the people who hold these in their hand, it is a computer, they get to shape that old narrative. It's not a word I like using a lot, but it is what it is. They like to shape that old narrative, and they get to. They are quite literally the ones, including myself, although I don't traffic in this particular thing. They get to shape the narrative, and they get to determine who's a bust. Now, here's what you'll never hear said. In the future, if Anthony Richardson were to fail in the NFL— and he got hyped up, and he got put in on top five of all the mock drafts, and he gets taken top five, you would not hear many people say, I was an idiot for putting him in the top five. You would hear people call him a bust. So it wasn't the people who overly inflated something, even though we've already got case study, okay? What's happening in the combine now, we saw all spring, all summer, all fall last year, you know as well as I do, especially Florida fans, but even regionally and nationally, a lot of diehard college football fans. You heard folks talk about Anthony Richardson. I talked about him. I remember just being totally enamored with the physical skill set, total alien skill set, just the physical traits off the charts. And then he had, what, he had seven games under 200 passing yards this year, had nine games under a 60% completion percentage. You could argue that Napier came in and didn't put him in the best situation to succeed. You could argue he didn't have the weapons around him. I'm telling you, if you're drafting a guy top five, he transcends some of that. That's what I'm telling you, or at least he should. And it's not Anthony Richardson's fault if you draft him too high or if you mock him too high. That's on you. He's not a bust. Your projection was the bust. So anyway, that word's what I wanted to circle back to. Bust. We hear it in the draft all the time. We hear it in college football recruiting all the time. What do we hear every time National Signing Day rolls around and you look back at years past or the national championship game comes or NFL draft day comes and you're looking at how many stars a guy used to have? Some folks have the audacity to call anyone who makes it in the NFL when they were a three star back in the day or anyone who gets drafted first round when they were a three or two star back in the day. They call the recruiting ranking a bust. It's like the inverse of a five star not panning out. You got the two-star who goes on to flourish in his college life and goes off to the NFL. That was a bust on the recruiting industry side. Now, sometimes that's true. I would argue more often than not, it's not true. So the reason I'm talking is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but some of it's serious. The reason I'm talking about the NFL process is you get the three, four, or in some cases, five years of advanced film, college film, where the competition level is fairly high. You get that. If you're trying to scout guys for the NFL draft, you get full medical, you get interview process, you get verified numbers on guys. You don't get all that. And you also don't get that coming out of high school to go along with advanced physical and mental maturation. Do you know what happens to guys when they get in college? 
A lot of stuff happens physically and mentally. That hasn't happened in a lot of cases coming out of high school. Uh, Keon White, kid out of Georgia Tech, perfect example. We sit down with him the other day, and he was a two-star coming out of high school. He was a he was about a 220, 225-pound tight end. He's a two-star. He goes to Old Dominion. He is being mocked in the first round of the draft as a 285-pound edge rusher. You want to tell me anyone out there, Will Fong, Singletary, Patagna, Ivans, any of you guys, you want to tell me you got a system in place that can project a guy putting on 60 or 70 pounds and switching positions at the college level? Of course you don't. There's no way to project that. That right there is not an evaluation bust. That's just biology getting the best of you. The, the evaluation portion of the recruiting industry is way, way more inexact even than the evaluation and scouting portion and projection portion of the NFL draft because, man, at least in the NFL side of things, you've got something tangible you can hold on to. Some of these guys are like trying to nail jello to the wall. There's no way that you can successfully evaluate and project a guy like that. Factors beyond the evaluation process come into play. So I know a lot of our recruiting guys, I tell them all the time, you ought to go on the defensive more. And they're, they're nice about it. And they say, look, we're in a front-facing position, and we're going to get hated on sometimes, and that's okay. And I'm over here like I would pound my fist on the table every time one of these fools went on a message board under like Noel fan 7833 and criticized me for something I couldn't possibly have known. If I just whiff on an evaluation, that's one thing. But man, it was never more evident than hanging out at the Combine this past week that some of these guys made the eval process coming out of high school impossible. Keon White's one of them. He's not the only one. But hey, I will tell you this. If you want to make some money, present to me, and then I will take it to management, a system wherein you can project 70-pound weight gains coming into college level. If you have that, if you have the ability to do that, you can make a lot of money. Because I know some people just down the hallway, of course, they're not here on the weekend. <laughs> We couldn't expect them to put in more than more than 40 hours a week. But I know some people who would be interested in purchasing that from you. All right. From draft to scheduling, sip from the chalice while we're at it. Very interesting tune that we played in the studio tonight. A mood setter, if you will. I think Bradley loves that I played the one I played tonight. Um, it's on it's on the socials right now. At Lake Kick Josh. Instagram, Twitter. You go check it out. And, and if you know that one, without having to look it up, if you know that one, I would be very, very impressed. Good mood setter, good tone setter. The SEC is changing their schedule. Not everyone is pleased by it. But some people aren't pleased and yet also in favor of it. So we've told you that this has been a long time coming. The SEC is adding OU in Texas. So, of course, they're going to 16 teams. They are going to, it's all but a certainty, that they're going to add a ninth conference game which means they're going to go with a 3-6-6 format. And I'm pretty sure most of you understand what that means, but if you don't, it's very simple. That means you have three, the first number. That means the teams you play every year, three fixed opponents. That's the most important number to pay attention to. And then the six and six just means the other teams in the conference you play one year, and the teams you don't play that year, you'll play them the next year. That also means that you play every team in the conference over a two-year period, and you play in every venue in the conference over any given four-year period. It's a good thing for entertainment, right? For you and I, that's a good thing. For coaches, is it a good thing? For players, is it a good thing? I would argue also what's good for us is good for them. 
this schedule is going to be a total knife fight every year. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But Ross Dellinger has been on top of this, as he usually is. We probably need to work something into our vernacular to describe when Ross drops a story. I'm going to throw Ross bomb out there. If you don't like it, you can throw it right back and we'll come up with something else. But, but Ross has been on top of this. And he reported the other day, essentially, what the three fixed opponents will be. I, I know it was a projection from him. That guy's got a pretty informed ability to project these things. Let me leave it at that. LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee. Those were the three fixed opponents that Mr. Dellinger said you can expect Alabama to have. Nick, Nick Saban apparently buys it because not only was Nick Saban quoted in the story, but Nick Saban also came out and said, uh, they've got us playing hoomst. They got us playing Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. How in the world do they come to that? Now, you may be thinking to yourself, Nick Saban sounds scared all of a sudden. No, no, I've got some sound for you in a couple of minutes I'm going to play. I went to the source. I went to Nick Saban and asked him to his face, and we'll play that video in a second. But the way the league is doing this on the surface makes sense. So you can't knock the process in theory. The league looked around like anyone would do. If you were the commissioner and you had someone in charge of fixing a schedule, you would say, okay, we can't, we, we can't do like certain people do in ping pong tournaments in this office and just randomly select teams because that is what fools do. So we can't do that. So we have, to, we have to evenly distribute the challenge of the three fixed opponents. So we can't have someone playing Georgia and Alabama and Oklahoma every year. That would be unfair, right? So they decided to go over the past 10 years and look at winning percentage. And then you got teams in the top half of the league Teams in the bottom half of the league. Sounds good, right? Carries a lot of weight. Here's the problem. That model thinks that Tennessee sucks. That model looks at Tennessee's winning percentage over the past 10 seasons. It's 41.4. Tennessee's not even a top 10 team in the SEC, which is woof gross. Tennessee's not even the top 10. Both of the Mississippi schools and Missouri are ahead of Tennessee. So the SEC's uh, nameless, faceless model is looking and saying, hey, give Bama Tennessee. And Bama was always going to have Tennessee because it's a big rival. But the point is, the model is saying, let's see, Bama's got Tennessee, so it won't matter if they have to play LSU and Auburn every year. It'll be fine. Everything's fine. And Nick Saban's going, it's not fine. Did you see us go up there last year? It's not fine at all. That is Nick Saban's beef. Now, I don't think a lot of folks outside the SEC have followed this like some of us that live down here have. I've followed this thing for years because it's been a sticking point. Pac-12 fans know this. You guys have looked at the SEC for a long time, and you've said, how in the world are you scheduling Catala Community College? How is Auburn playing roast beef tech on the second to last week of the year? How do they have FCS Cream Puff City in November, you guys should be playing nine conference games. And some of us have advocated for that. But I just talk into a microphone. I went to the top dog in the conference back in July, and I sat down in front of Nick Saban, and I said, hey, a lot of folks love watching your team, but people don't love watching you body bag some FCS no-name. And here's what Nick Saban had to say. I think a lot of folks love watching Alabama football. People don't get so stoked when they wake up on a Saturday morning and know Bama's favored by 48 today. And I've heard you talk a little bit lately about how you don't prefer that either. You want games that people want to see. 
but you can't just snap your fingers and make it happen. So right. to play quality games is the most important thing. All right, but our rules don't enhance us playing quality games. How about the fans? Do they want to go see these games? So, you know, it was, I don't know how many years ago, six, eight years ago, I said, why don't we play nine games in the SEC? All right, now they want, they're talking about playing nine in the future. I'm saying, why don't we play ten? All right, we had one season, all right, which was a great competitive season. We didn't play one game that everybody wasn't interested in. So, would you lose more games if you played that? Probably. Would, but there would be a lot more interest, all right, which I think is the most important thing. The stadium being filled. The passion and the spirit of the fans makes college football what it is. Not to divert everyone's attention, but Jesse, are you looking at the live chat? Someone in here just said Roast Beef Tech has an NIL deal with Arby's. That's some of the best humor that I've seen in the live chat in a long time. Okay, let's get back to the uh, matter at hand. So you heard what Nick Saban said there. Uh, if you followed this story, you know he's, he's just banged that drum forever. So it's not that he's upset. In fact, he's very much in favor. He'd love to go to 10 conference games. We're just going to nine. He'd love to go to 10 conference games. I think he just wants to even it out. I think he's looking down in the sand trap and saying, can someone get the rake over here? Can someone fill in where it looks like a child was just left alone to his own devices with his plastic shovel just digging around in there? Can someone just run a rake through the schedule, even it out a little bit more? I think it would come as a surprise to some people, based on what I see as popular sentiment, that these coaches want to be more challenged. I don't think a lot of people believe that. Some of you may not believe that. Uh, Kirby's going to get challenged a whole lot more. Georgia's schedule is going to get beefed up per capita, I guess, more so than anyone else, because you don't get annuals with Kentucky and Vandy and Missouri every year anymore. You'll still play them, but you're going to play Texas and Oklahoma and Alabama every bit as often as you're going to play those other schools, depending on who your three permanents are. So these coaches, I think Dabo's the same way at Clemson. I don't think Dabo Swinney has enjoyed the cakewalk, relatively speaking, of course, that their conference schedule has been. It's like in, you know, in Jurassic Park, when they first go on the tour and they can't get the T-Rex to come out. So what do they do? Samuel L. Jackson says, hold on, we're going to try and draw the T-Rex out. Ah. They just bring a goat up out of the ground. They had a goat waiting, a feeder goat, as Meemaw would call it. And they had a feeder goat waiting. And Sam Neal's sitting in the Explorer, and it's pouring down rain, and he's saying, T-Rex doesn't want to be fed. He wants to hunt. These guys don't want to be fed. They don't want to be favored by 55 and a half. They want to hunt. They want to be challenged. That's how competitors feel. I, I know, you know, Nick Saban, not so different, he and I. I feel the same way on the pong table as Nick Saban does on the football field. And credit me for saying that with a straight face. This schedule, though, is going to be brutality. Have you really thought this through? Have you guys thought this through? Because honestly, I didn't really dive deep in my own mind until today on it. It's pretty dangerous when I do that. I don't try to do that often. We are approaching a world where we have an expanded playoff, right? And the SEC is going to play a nine-game conference schedule. They're adding OU in Texas, and, and who, whomstever else may join, who knows what tomorrow may bring. And they're also going to have an SEC championship game. That's not going anywhere. It's worth too much money. And then you're going to do what? You're going to ask them to play an expanded playoff. I, I know that you don't think this is a video game. I know you guys understand that. 
But have we really stopped to think about how brutal these schedules are going to be? There are going to be years, for example, where someone is playing half a dozen, if not more, of the top 15 talent rosters in college football. Depending on your draw in any given year, you could legitimately have a season without me even knowing who you play out of conference. You could have a season where you play half a dozen or more of the top 15 talent rosters in the sport. So that means bigger, faster, stronger. That means the collisions matter more. That means the training table starts to accumulate and get more and more crowded week over week. That means you run out of athletic tape in week eight and you got to reorder before the season's even up. Aside from the toll that takes just on the college football player's body, are we going to properly adjust strength of schedule? You know, Nick Saban said something else in that interview I didn't have time to replay for you. He said, I kind of like what college basketball does. Jesse, what's the ranking? Used to be RPI. What's the ranking now they use at the end of the year? Yeah, Ken Palm, just as an example of understanding there's more to it than what your record is. You are not always what your record says you are. It's one of our, our great truths in college sports. It's not pro sports. Records can lie to you. They do all the time. And I just wonder if Tennessee sits there and they go nine and three, and their three losses are like to Georgia, Bama, and Texas, or someone like that. Do we possess the ability? Will the committee possess the ability to say, yeah, they may not be a top four seed. They didn't win the SEC. They didn't win their conference. But that is clearly one of the best teams in the country. We need to put them above some one-loss teams. Do we possess that ability? I, I'm saying we rhetorically. I know we do. I'm asking if the committee does. And it's not even an SEC thing. I'll say the same thing if Ohio State does this any given year. I'll say, I, Not that the Pac-12 may be around long enough for me to even utter this sentence about them, but I would say the same thing regardless. I, I'm all about fairly determining strength of schedule. It's one thing I don't think we do in the sport, at least at a high enough level. But yeah, this SEC schedule is going to be a war zone, and it's going to be entertaining. We're winning, so I will, I will golf clap on that front. We are winning. We, we are getting a more entertaining product. But wow, strength of schedule. It matters, kids. It matters. Learn how to calculate that thing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Academy Sports and Outdoors has been in our back pocket so much so. It's been like the wind in our sails. We just get to go do anything now. I mean, did you see them sending me to the Combine two years ago? Of course not. And now, not only do we get to do those sorts of things, we got... Big Game Dane up there, Gelby was up there, Coach Quinn was up there. The entire crew worked with some of our folks from CBS that I never get to work with. Pete Prisco up there, Spielman, Ryan Wilson. Some dude named Cannell, first name Daniel. They say he played at Florida State. All those guys were up there. Had a blast. Academy Sports and Outdoors lets us do that. We get to go on the road every week during the fall. Why? You. That's why because you visit their store far more often, because they're a partner with our show, and you're invested in the show, and you also candidly enjoy that we get to offer it to you free of charge. That's the name of the game. 
And so I just humbly ask that you don't do anything more than you've already been doing. Continue to visit the store, one-stop shop for everything sporting good related you'll ever need. Academy.com is the website. And Colin, I don't know if I've even told you this. Bradley, I wouldn't have had a reason to tell you this. The Academy reps are coming to the office this week. So don't embarrass me, please. The SEC tournament is in town. Like when we can see Bridgestone Arena out of our window. It's like two blocks away. So it's going to be a busy week in Nashville. And the Academy, our friends from Academy, coming in studio. May even snap a picture or two with them. We'll see. All righty. Let's, um, let's first thank you for watching live. And if you are, please subscribe to the video and like the video. Or subscribe to the channel and like the video. There are rumblings. You hear them as well as I do on the conference front. And I'm not trying to be repetitive on this. I'm just telling you, every time you and I talk, it seems like a little bit more has changed and a little bit more has come out. And so either the Pac-12 is going to be fine or the Pac-12 is going to implode in on itself like a dying star. Something along those lines is going to happen. And I, I, I think effectively I have not spoiled the ending for you there. But the status of the volcano is still very much active. I don't think we're going to have to wait very long. And I know there's a mixed feeling on this front. I know that some folks would tell you the Pac-12 is not nearly as up against a deadline to sign a new media rights deal as the public believes. And while technically that's true, I, I don't necessarily know that the, the stop dead, what, what am I looking for? The drop dead date. There, there you go. That's, that's, that's what I was worried about when I was in school. The drop dead date to turn in the assignment. I don't know that that's really what we need to be focused on. I think, I think rubber is going to meet road a lot sooner. And by sooner, I mean like over the next couple of months. I think it's going to get real in a hurry. I think Max Olson and Stu Mandel had a really good article over on The Athletic. And I had Jesse clip out a little portion of it. So to, to backstory you, right now, what we're looking at is the Big 12 got ahead of the Pac-12 in line. And they signed a new media rights deal. So they've got themselves some financial security. They added four new schools because OU and Texas are headed out the door. They secured, I think it was $100 million from OU and Texas for them to leave early. So credit Brett Yormark, that's the new Big 12 commissioner, credit him on all those fronts. This is an entertainment guy. He is not a, an administrative, like collegiate bureaucrat. He comes from a different world. He gets how this stuff works. And I candidly think he's got himself in as good a position as he could be in right now to grow his conference more. So anyway, the Athletic article comes out this week. It's a couple of days old. It's still up on the website if you want to go look at it. This is a quote from that article by Max Olson and Stuart Mandel on The Athletic. Multiple people familiar with the Pac-12's board members expressed doubt that their schools, Pac-12 schools, would switch conferences unless it's for a substantially better deal. The article continues. School presidents, not ADs, authorize realignment. And the Pac-12's priority on academic and cultural fits is more than most conferences. Washington State's president and Oregon State's president have both attempted to diffuse the various rumors in recent interviews. That, and that, that's the end of the quote. This is me talking again. It's pretty clear what's happening there. That's an attempt from the presidents of a couple of universities that have every motivation to keep the Pac-12 together in stabilizing things. Oregon State's not going anywhere. Uh, Washington State's not going anywhere. They could just be SOL. So it is in the best interest of those presidents to tell you, it's, everything's fine. It's going to be fine. And what they're indicating, 
knowing what the numbers are probably going to be, they're saying unless the Big 12 can offer substantially more than our member institutions are going to get from whatever deal we sign as the Pac-12, these schools aren't leaving because we've got arms locked and we're in it for more than just the money. We're like the anti-Jonas in Twister. We're in it for the money. We're in it for the science, not the money. They're literally saying that. Research institutions and whatnot, culture, and it matters. It matters a great deal to them. I think money is going to matter more. I think survival and security is going to matter more. And that's why in the end, if I was a betting man, and I don't know that there are prop bets on such things out there, but if I were a betting man, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to be together much longer. I think Brett Yormark understands that. I think that guy's also got a really good eye for what he can do with basketball in his conference. It's not a new sport. I'm talking about it like it's a new sport. But monetizing that sport the way it could be done west of the Mississippi, I don't think has been done. And I think he understands that. But in the meantime, it's only going to take one or two of those schools, the Arizona schools, Utah, whomstever. It's only going to take one or two of them to defect. And then the Pac-12's response will probably be to add San Diego State or SMU or someone. It's not going to be good enough. It will not be a legitimate conference at the Power 5 level, as you know it at this point. And so it'll be done. Now, I just went through all that, and you know what I didn't do? I didn't even mention the ACC. And we've still got, we've still got the rumblings from over there, too. I don't know what Florida State's going to do. I don't know what Clemson's going to do. I, I don't know what those lawyers... I know they go back to work tomorrow. So I know not much progress has been made over the weekend, but I know first thing Monday morning, that's when everyone schedules the meetings they wanted to put off until the next week. So who knows? You and I will speak again on Tuesday, at least on the Late Kick Extra podcast. We could have some more to talk about even as soon as then. The show's not over. If it sounded that way, I'm sorry. It's just that portion of the show is over. Um, where should we go? I say that like we don't have a rundown. Let's talk about some spring questions for a second. And also, I just I want to remind you, now that you've gotten a little deeper in the show, I was done wrong this week but I'm going to make it right all by myself. But I was done wrong this week, and I'll tell you what happened in a little while. Just, I, I expect it from some. I'm so disappointed in some other people in the building. It, it chaps me to the point that I have to put on some chapstick right now. Burt's Beeswax has my back. Not a sponsor of the show, though, unfortunately. The ACC is loaded with questions this spring. Clemson, are they going to have pass catchers up there? Cade Klubnick's going to be the guy whose name's on the marquee, the quarterback. Garrett Riley, the new offensive coordinator, his name's going to be on the marquee, new offense. Good. It was a needed change. Credit Dabo Swinney for finally pulling the trigger on that front. Now I need to know, you guys got someone to catch the ball? I really miss the days where I looked at Clemson's receiver core and said the things about them that now we say about Ohio State or Bama in most years. I used to say that about Clemson. I don't say it so much anymore. I don't think it's any small coincidence that's coincided with them not falling off a cliff, but sort of taking a little step back. They're, they're not on the front line anymore. They're, they're behind the front line. They're kind of trying to make themselves tall enough to peek over the front line. That's not where Clemson belongs. They belong on the front line. They're top pass catchers last season. If you're listening on podcast and you can't see the fancy graphic here on the screen, how many players do you think they had? go over 600 yards receiving last year? And what if I told you the answer was one? What if I put the over-under at one and a half and said the under hits? In fact, they only had two of them over 400. They only had three of them over 400 yards. 
And two of those three departed for the NFL draft. So, yeah, we got some work to do there. Now, who knows? It could very well be that a lot of those pieces are good enough. They just need to be put in a different system. We've seen it happen before. So I'm not dismissing that possibility. When will we know about Florida State? You know, they play Duke in week one. And I know people are going to overlook that game. I probably will too. Sorry. Duke was a nine-win team last year. I just don't really think people remember that. And if you do, just credit you because I, I, I still have not properly categorized Duke in the Mike Elko era. That was one of the biggest surprises last year to me. But anyway, they played Duke, Charleston Southern, Florida Atlantic, and then FSU comes to town in week four. Speaking of the Seminoles down in Tallahassee, a lot of excitement with the offense, a lot of excitement with Jordan Travis coming back. There should be a ton of excitement. I got a question that we'll probably do on the Late Kick Extra pod on Tuesday about that very thing. I think I said the other day, FSU has legs. They don't skip legs, you know, like some folks do, especially this time of year. The resolutionists in the gym, chest on Monday, arms on Tuesday, back to chest on Wednesday, just popcorn muscles, essentially. They skip legs. Florida State didn't skip legs. I said that on the show the other day. No one had a clue what I was talking about, metaphorical speaking at its finest. I'll talk about that on Tuesday. But as for tonight, 156.4 yards per rush. Well, not yard, that would be a record. Yards per game rushing. That's what their run defense gave up last year. Not too good. That's 75th in FBS. We got to improve. And they lost Robert Cooper, who was one of their better run stoppers. Now, as usual, Mike Norvell has dipped himself into the transfer portal. They may not even be done doing that. So there's going to be a lot of excitement. There should. I will be contributing to it. But we, we can't have things like we're watching on the screen now happen. We can't just have Will Shipley running free. That was a close game. That was a competitive game. They lost three games in a row in ACC play that sort of knocked them out of contention. And we're watching chunk runs that happened in pretty much all of them. So we'll be watching that in spring. What about down at Miami? This, this offense, period, not even a specific unit. Sure, we can talk about Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback, but this entire offense, Shannon Dawson is the offensive coordinator there which I don't think a lot of people had in their bingo sheet. Bring in Broyles Award winner Josh Gaddis, and it just is a tire fire. The offense never got off the ground, and then all of a sudden, he's out after one year. I know a lot of you made fun of Mario Cristobal. It was a bad hire. That's obvious now. It, to, to hit the dump button after one year is not easy. It's easy to say he should do it. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. They did it, so credit them. Now they brought in Shannon Dawson. He's from Houston, by the way. And now some of the same pieces are still there. Tyler Van Dyke's still there. Uh, he had 1,000 less passing yards last year than he did the year before. I, I think folks forgot he knows how to play football. Tyler Van Dyke's still a very good player. And there are some good players offensively they have, period, that were just put in no-win situations last year. Offense, I don't I know you can judge it on one hand, but on the other hand, when you're asking me how will Miami look moving forward, I'm not basing a ton of my expectation on last year because there's hardly anything from last year that this year's offense will resemble. They're not trying to do the same thing. They're not trying to read from the same playbook or, or operate from the same playbook. None of that. Uh, North Carolina, I don't think it's a big shock to you. There's not a question at offense or, or not a question at quarterback at least. But defensively, they were 116th last year in pass defense. 
They lost two corners to the portal. They're replacing their defensive backs coach. Dre Bly's off to the NFL. They just need to be good. They don't need to be great. They do have Drake May. They do have a future first-round caliber quarterback. They do have the ability to score points offensively, but you got to be better than 104th in the country in points per game given up. you got to be better than all of those stats. All the, all the defensive stats were in the hundreds. Not good. There's no excuse for it. The entire ACC, minus a few exceptions in any given year, you look at where they are geographically, and you think to yourself, how is there this much collective averageness, average affity, if you will, up and down the Atlantic coast? It's just someone somewhere outside of Clemson, someone somewhere said, good enough is enough. And the rest of the conference said, Oh, we can get behind that. Good enough is enough. Let's just make us a good old-fashioned bowl game, and you're not okay, we're not okay, but that's okay because average is okay. It's no excuse for it. So one of the places that the conference needs to get better is North Carolina's got to pick it up on defense. Virginia Tech, I would love, I would love to exit spring and hear people in Blacksburg saying, you know what? This offense looks a little different. Offense looks a lot more promising. Brought in Kyron Drones from Baylor. He's battling Grant Wells, the incumbent at quarterback, which doesn't mean anything when you were 118th in the country in points per game last year. 18.5, by the way. That was their points per game offensively. Abysmal. I greatly miss the days when that VT logo meant something different than it does now. Now it just means a little breather in conference play. Can you believe I said that? It's accurate. It's not disrespectful. It's just accurate until further notice. So I would just love to see signs of life offensively. 303.4 yards per game. Jesse tells me that's what they gave up on average last year. That is 118th. No, that's what they got. That's what they gained last year. Yeah, the defense, offense, whatever. They, um, they got to be a lot better. So yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of units that need vast amounts of improvement. You won't get there fully in the spring, but hopefully we can get a little ways there. They're watching us in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you're lucky, you can still make it. Jackson, Georgia. Henderson, Nevada. Thank you guys, wherever you are, for tuning in. Uh, it's a little bit later in the show. We, we got our diehards in here now. I want to take a sip and balance myself for just a second. I want to tell you a little story. Let me settle in. So I go to Indianapolis this week to try and represent the company, make management look like a genius, you know, shoulder the load, if you will. And management waits for me to leave town and then puts down his strawberry daiquiri long enough to choose one of his cars and drive into the office. And let me tell you what they did to me. A guy who is overwhelmingly the number one seed in ping pong in this office right now, they scheduled and formatted and seeded an office tournament of 20 people and didn't consult me on any of it. I had to learn when the rest of the public learned. They essentially sent out a press release via company email. And so I'm up there just, just working and toiling so that everyone here can live a better life and put food on the table. And all of a sudden I find out not only has this been scheduled behind my back, so I've just been blindsided by treachery, I got HR in the first round. One of my nemesis, nemesis, if you will, plural. Guess what management drew? 
a dude who's played one game in his life. Now, you may stop me at this point and say, but Jesse was here, wasn't he? Like, surely producer Jesse will step in and save you. No, you think you've got allies until they get coerced and they get handed someone who's played zero games in their life as their first round opponent. So I have been informed that we have a preliminary round for seeding and I'm playing a dude who can take me right to the limit. So uh, the, the moral of the story is I won't have the one seed in an office where I have pounded everyone into submission, but that's okay. It just makes what I'm going to do this week all the more sweet. And if I don't make it over to Bridgestone for any of the SEC basketball tournament matchups, it'll be because I'm waging a much bigger war on the home front here. But I will be victorious, and I will appreciate in advance your support because I don't have any here, that's for sure, except for Colin, who has always had my back. You got some dark horse teams in college football right now. Did you know that? Bryson hit me up and said, which teams that realistically could make the playoff would shock people the most this year? So we're not talking about food. This is no time to talk about rice. We're talking about teams that somewhere in 1,000 simulations of the season could make the playoff a few times, but it would be shocking. Texas A&M's that team, at least one of those teams. I, I want to make sure everyone everyone needs to pause right now. I do too, because I just stumbled over my words. Everyone needs to hear what I'm saying very loudly. This is not a prediction segment. I am, as of this moment, not predicting any of these four teams to go to the playoff. I'm saying there is a chance, there's a non-zero chance that this could happen, and you would be stunned by it. Texas A&M, how about this? How about this for a stat of the evening? Texas A&M, 26 of the top 100 all-time recruits they've landed are on the roster right now. A quarter of their top 100 all-time recruits are on their roster currently, and that's after a lot of them defected. That's after a lot of them got kicked off the team. Five of their top 10 rated all-time recruits are on the roster right now. All I'm trying to tell you is they got good players, or at least they got talented players. And all I'm trying to tell you is Connor Wegman is, I think, paired with a lot better offensive coordinator situation than he has been at any point in really any quarterback's tenure there in recent memory. So what is the net result? The net result is they missed a bowl game last year, and yet there is still enough talent on this roster that if it is put in the proper position and execution is at a high enough level, that team is capable of doing that. Non-zero chance. That's what we call it. So if you check your weather app and it says 10% chance of rain, it probably gives you a little sunshine icon. It doesn't even put the raindrops on there. Likewise, I'm not putting a, a CFP logo next to A&M's name, but there is the slightest of chances that if everything falls into place, then um, who knows? It would be shocking, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible for Penn State to make it. In fact, Penn State uh, has got the third Best odds to win the title, win the national title out of Big Ten teams, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, in that order, by the way, it ain't Michigan at number one. Profit off that accordingly. But they've got six offensive linemen coming back with at least five games starting experience. That's number one for Penn State. Number two, got a really good running back duo. Producer Jesse thinks maybe the best in the country. Michigan fans always torch me when I say that, so I make sure to blame it on Producer Jesse. It is Drew Aller time. One of, one of 
my premier lines on the last show was, if he does anything short of turning water into White Claws, some people would be disappointed because that's how much he's been built up. And also, uh, 75% of their production returns on defense. That all sounds good. This should not be a dark horse team, but they will be. Some people have it in their minds that James Franklin can't get over the hump, whatever the hump is, immunity. And likewise, they think that Penn State, oh, that's a fancy graphic there, Colin. There was two of me all of a sudden. A lot of people think Penn State just can't. Of course, on this show, our old adage is there's a difference between have not and cannot. And I do not think that Penn State's playoff hopes fall into the cannot category. I just think they have not. But it would shock people, some, if they made the playoff. It would shock people if Kansas State made the playoff. Everyone is going to, not everyone, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, uh, some out there, the more casual amongst us, will have that one-hit wonder stamp, and they'll try and plaster it on the forehead of that program and their entire offensive line comes back. That was already a top 15 rushing outfit this year. Will Howard gets the offense to himself at quarterback this year. Their schedule sets up nicely. They are currently the fourth odds-on favorite to win a title out of the Big 12 teams. And uh, Texas is number one there. They are every year. I, yeah, I think Vegas has the same model that we have internally. Just gets It gets plastered on Texas every single year. Uh, let's keep an eye on Kansas State. I mean, we, we need look back no further than last year. Kansas State beat the team from the Big 12 that made the title game. So, yeah, that would shock people, certainly. But they've got a really good system out there, and they're going to have some really good players in that really good system this year. So, especially if they build up some steam, which I think they will, watch out for them. And also, Miami. This would shock people. I need to stop bumping the table here. The mic goes crazy. Five of their top six pass rushers return. I think they had a top 20 pass rushing unit this year. There was a lot of bad for Miami. None of this is likely. I'm just saying there are some technical possibilities here that would shock you. Maybe that new offensive coordinator is exactly what they need there. Maybe him being paired with Tyler Van Dyke, exactly what they need. Who knows? Maybe they dip in the portal a time or two after spring and get some, some really key pieces. It's year two under a new coaching staff, so that's always a big deal. So, yeah. I think it would shock the world if Miami or Kansas State or Penn State or A&M made the playoff. I think that would be pretty shocking. It should not shock you at all if Penn State makes it. But the rest of them, yeah, I, I could see the shock factor to varying degrees. Again, this has not been a prediction segment. Merely a commentary on where the sport sits in March of the year of our Lord 2023. Now, if you, if you rolled your eyes at that, and I know you guys, so I know some of you did, because you think I'm just, I'm just patronizing some people, or you think I'm placating, I guess would be the better word. You're really going to love where we're about to go. Colin, I think we have another question. Uh, yeah, it was a question. Okay. So, Vin hit us up, and he said, do you see actual title contenders in the Pac-12 this year, or just a lot of pretty good teams from Bellevue, Washington? Let me reiterate for added effect. What he just asked is basically, are there teams out on the West Coast that if things came together this year could win a title? And I think there are. I just need one. So, so we're not doing a, an entire Pac-12 preview video or anything. But out of the Pac-12, is there collectively a team that conference could spit out 
that all of a sudden just just wins a title. Um, I think there at least is that in the cards because I love the I love the deck of quarterbacks out there to use the card metaphor. Bo Nix coming back for that conference is a really big deal. Really big deal for Oregon. Really big deal for the conference. Caleb Williams at USC has to play another year. Obviously, really big deal. Michael Penix is back at Washington. One of the best stories in college football last year. Cam Rising, Jesse's doppelganger, back at Utah again for his, he is basically the Sean Clifford of the Pac-12 now. And DJ Uyangalale. What? He plays at Clemson. No, he doesn't. He plays at Oregon State now. Welcome back. For those of you who tuned out and are just coming back for spring football, DJU was on the move while you were away, and he is in Corvallis now. You also have that. So, so quarterback's the most important position in the sport. There's some good ones out there. I'm not even mentioning guys like Dante Moore at UCLA, uh, Cam Ward in year two at Washington State, Deloria down at Arizona, because those probably probably are not teams that would be capable of making the playoff even with good quarterback play. I reserve the right to change my mind on that because I certainly didn't see TCU coming last year. But think about the coaches out there that are entering year two. Three of the big ones, three lead teams that are among the favorites odds-wise to win the conference. Kalen DeBoer at Washington's out there. He's still just really early into his tenure. Dan Lanning at Oregon. Uh, Lincoln Riley down at USC. And you've also got guys that have been there a little bit longer. Jonathan Smith's got a really good thing going on at Oregon State. Chip Kelly at UCLA. I've spoken at length recently about how I just think the sport's kind of coming to Chip Kelly. A guy who was never known as a prolific recruiter all of a sudden lives in a world where you don't have to tear it up in recruiting. You can work the NIL game, firstly. And secondly, you can work the transfer portal. And that's what they did last year. And that's what they've done again this year. And that's what I think they'll continue to do. And Chip Kelly's right place, right time here. Also, uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham's still out there. I always save him for last because I know how much he loves being saved for last and how much he loves being overlooked. So why not feed into it at this point? Something isn't something until it is something. And that's a quote, especially for our younger audience, that I want you to take and I want you to bottle it up. I just want you to drop that on someone this week. Something isn't something until it is something. Just blow someone's mind. Alabama used to be bad. Did you know that? If you're in our younger audience, you did not know that. They used to be bad. Then they weren't anymore. Clemson, once upon a time, was not a national power. Then they were. Georgia was incapable, according to some, of winning a title. Then all of a sudden they won two of them in a row. Something's not happening until it's happening. The Pac-12, not capable of winning a title, according to many. There's a good reason for you to feel that way, because they haven't come close. Haven't had a playoff team, what, since the Washington year? And it's just, it's, it's been a very, very barren landscape out there. It will change. Could change this year. Whomst knows. Now, we're asking if a team can win a title or be a contender for a title instead of just being a contender for the playoff. And when we expand the playoff, of course, they'll get more in. But I'm looking at it through the lens of just that, that finer-tuned four-team model while I can. And you just need one. Lincoln Riley's going to get there. I don't know if it's this year, but he's going to get there. Lanning and Oregon are going to get there. Don't know if it's this year, but they're going to get there. And then as I use those as the first two, Sure enough, in Utah, you could say, didn't we just beat both of those teams in consecutive years in the Pac-12 championship game? And then Washington could look and say, you know, we, we fared pretty well this year, too. Are you, are you forgetting about us? No, I'm not forgetting about you. I just 
have to mention someone first and someone second. So yeah, I think it could happen. Also, it could also it's, it could also be the case that no one makes it again. I have some news for you, although I kind of have to keep it shrouded in secrecy. So every every day, a couple of you ask me, "Hey, whatever happened to us getting the channel to one hundred and fifty thousand subs?" And you, t- you telling us that you were going to have a lot of guests on the show. What's happened to it is it's been shifted into sort of hyperdrive. So we, what we could have done is we could have just brought guests on via Zoom. That's what we could have done. And we've done that from time to time. We had Cole Kublik on a couple of, probably about a month ago at this point. It was really good. Highly, highly reviewed. But I want to go and sit down with you in person. And so... There are like eight or what, what, Jesse, you would say about eight or nine people on that meeting the other day. We got a lot of folks at this company who are now invested in putting a very, very high caliber product together. And so in short order, I will be presenting to you a new concept that we'll be executing here on the show where we go and we sit down with some of the biggest names in the business, coaching, media, et cetera. And um, I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to like it a lot because what we're not going to do is the standard question and answer session. You can get that anywhere. To get these guys to be conversational and take you places and give you behind-the-scenes access and give you stories you've never heard before, well, if you're anywhere half-decent at your job, which we sometimes claim I am around here, that is my job to pull out of them. And I think we will. And I think that you'll like it, and I think you'll love some of the names that we have lined up. Some of those names haven't even been informed. I just know they'll say yes when we ask. Others are already on tap for us. So look forward to that. Can't give you a definitive start date yet, but it's coming in the very near future. So look forward to that. Appreciate you guys so much being tuned in. It used to be not too long ago down in Columbus. We were happy in the middle of the season to have 20 viewers. And I got, what, like 1,500 of you here watching live. If you have tuned in, the last thing I ask is click that thumbs up button and click that subscribe button. That is how we keep everything flowing at an optimum level. No one has to pay for anything. No one gets told, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. We just get left alone as long as you like the videos and subscribe to the channel and the podcast. Until Tuesday, when I will see you in the podcast feed for the Late Kick Extra Pod. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless.